Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast serving up a slice of the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this week's episode, I visited the majestic Inverlochy Castle Hotel in Fort William. I sat down to chat with celebrity chef Michelle Rue Jr., whose namesake restaurant recently launched a new dining concept. This unique dining experience at the castle sees visitors transported back to the essence of when it was a private home. Michelle takes me through the new menu and the dining experience. I also spoke to head chef Colin Finn, who tells me about how important it is to him that his staff are content at work. He says happiness is key, happy food, happy guests, happy chefs. He recalls how his unique childhood palate and appetite for the exotic has shaped his career. Last night we had the pleasure of trying your new dining experience, so can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so the the idea behind it, or the concept, is really to take Inverlochy back to... Um, time when it was run as a private house so that means the dining experience was really what uh, the the cook at the time Mary Shaw was wanting to give her guests Uh, so it was a a no choice menu um, but it was it was products from in and around the area simply cooked so great ingredients simply cooked uh, beautifully presented and um, and make made you feel at home and part of the family. What was it about that that made you want to sort of focus in on it? You know, is it the seasonality of the ingredients or was it the sort of more kind of bringing people together? I think it's the, well, bringing people together for one, definitely. Uh, you're in, in, you know, in such a beautiful private house, uh, this this lovely castle. Um, and, and I think it 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 fits that, that style of food fits perfectly. And it's special, it's different. You know, a lot of restaurants now, you know, have multiple choice and a full a la carte menu. And, uh, and I, I think it's, you know, you kind of get, lost in this boredom of a menu whereas this is really original different uh, and taking inspiration from when it used to be a a private house because it is like a a kind of looking back to the past have you said because there's a thing you know things served at your table because a lot more sort of theater do you think that's what people are kind of looking for these days yes it's not just what's you know on the plate there has to be some something else and and to make it a you know a full-on experience so yeah a little bit of theater at the table the chef will come out as well and maybe carve one of the dishes in front of you and uh, and the canapes are, are not classic canapes there'll always be some kind of a, a chefy element to it so uh, last night yeah there were oysters being opened for everybody in front of them tonight might be something else might be 
hand-carved smoked salmon. Uh, so there'll always be a little bit of theatre. It has a very specific name, which mm. I don't know if I can pronounce. <laughs> how would you pronounce it? I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to start. <laughs> what is in the name and how do you pronounce it? Uh, well, I, I've heard it pronounced Seascare. I've heard it pronounced Sheescare. I think that's actually a good thing in a, in a way because it's getting people talking and Googling and uh, uh, trying to find out uh, the correct way to pronounce it. So it's great. And, and it's, it's Scottish Gaelic, which means, as far as I, I know, kind of a snug, a cosy place, warmth. The, the best way I can describe it, I think, is possibly, you know, a lovely warm blanket of you know emotion and emotions and 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 love wrapped around you as you walk in so that's you know that's what we're looking for that's what we're aiming for and uh, that's what we want people to to feel nice the focus is mary shaw for the inspiration was that something you've always been kind of aware of that she was here because the the, the private house was quite a short-lived time wasn't it mm. before it was a hotel is that something you've kind of always wanted to do and been aware about or was it did, did you take some kind of research into her and her dishes always knew about it always knew about the history and and you know i've heard lots of people talk about it rave about uh, that style of food so I, I thought well you know now's the right time uh, to to implement this and and to really really focus as well on local produce um, which i think is is key as well uh, key to this whole concept uh, so you know we're, we're looking at smoked salmon which is literally down the road coming from down the road the game and the butchers as well are, are literally within a 10 mile radius so it, it i think that's that's super cool super interesting and and on point at the moment people really want you know, if people are traveling from around the world to come here they don't want to eat you know imported food from the other side of Europe or the other side of the world. No, they want to, they want to eat original uh, food and original ingredients from, from here. And that kind of leads me on to my next question, which how do you approach designing a menu like this? And, and it seems like it changes quite a lot. Is that quite invigorating when you sort of mm. start off with something new like this? Absolutely. The menu changes uh, daily. So for people that are staying two or three nights here, they, they will be eating different food every night. Uh, or a different menu every night, which I think is important. And that's on a cycle, so the, the chefs know what they're going to be cooking for the week ahead, which is important as well for ordering and for you know, being able to, to, to plan your, your, your menus properly. Um, but then we will be changing seasonally, and it also means that you can be very reactive. So if suddenly there's great weather, there's a bit of sunshine and the wild mushrooms are growing, we can put wild mushrooms on the menu uh, very easily at a, at, you know, and, and, and it can change like that which is great also we have a, a great connection with a, uh, you know, a couple of fishermen and if you know, the catch of the day is, is you know, a wild turbot wow that's it let's put the wild turbot on it's great we, we're really fine tuned and, and you know, in tune I should say with, uh, with the seasons and what's available at the moment yeah and um, it's Really, and well, you know, we've seen about the theatre of the dining and it being mm. quite a cosy place and stuff. It's nice to get back to that from COVID times. So I feel like I don't know what you think, but people are probably going to be quite receptive to things being. It's a different experience, but it also feels quite normal to be in a yeah. dining room with other people. And yeah, I mean, it's been a very tough you know, couple of years for for the hospitality industry and and well, not just hospitality industry for all all 
industry is, uh, you know, and coming out of it, it, it seems, you know, we're a bit bit wary, you know, what, what should we be doing, not doing, and how are we going to approach this? But um, I, I genuinely feel that this is, you know, it's a celebration of Inverlochy, uh, a celebration of its past, and, and we are definitely looking to the future. And for anyone that doesn't know, how did the, your restaurant at Inverlochy all kind of come about? Mm, so um, my, my father got involved, uh, first of all, with Inverlochy, uh, probably about, uh, oof, I think it's nearly 10 years ago, maybe, maybe even more, actually, um, uh, on a consultancy basis. And uh, since my father's passed, I've taken over. And um, it, it, it's always a joy to come up here. I mean, just looking out the window, you know, it, it's just so beautiful. Uh, and the air is lovely and fresh. And, uh, and, it, and it's great to speak to the guests as well, because they do literally come from all corners of the world to, to come here and sample what Scotland has got to give. I should say out the window is uh, rolling hills and mist and trees. And it's very, it's like a postcard despite the weather not being great. It is. Well, actually, you know, it's not that bad. The, uh, and, and the thing is, with, with being up here in Scotland, you get four seasons in an hour. So, <laughs> I mean, in 10 minutes, that lovely hill there is going to be a bright colour and, uh, and then it's going to be te- you know, teeming down with, <laughs> with rain. So, it's, no, it's extraordinary. And you've got a few restaurants in Scotland. Has it been a similar thing with those locations? Well, the, I mean, the, this... You know, Inverlochy really does have the, the feel of a private house. Um, the, the other ones may be less so, but, but it is something that we're, we, we constantly look at uh, concepts and, um, and what our guests are looking for. And um, uh, so, yeah, it, 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 there's always you know, a bit of creativity and uh, we're always working with all of our teams to, to try and find what is best and what works best. And they're all they're lovely locations as well. They're pretty grand hotels. Yeah, I mean, well, grey walls up in you know on Muirfield, and uh, then obviously Cromlicks as well, and here. So it's uh, and nearly missed one out and uh, Cross Basket too. So they're yeah, they're all extraordinarily beautiful houses, and uh, and and we have great teams there working there too. Do you have any plans for any new ventures, whether it's new restaurants or similar things like this in your other Scottish locations? Not for the time being, but um, you never know, opportunities uh, come. But uh, at the moment, it's all about uh, consolidating what we have, making sure that... Uh, that we are getting out of the COVID restrictions, uh, you know, properly and getting fully staffed because, you know, that, that is a big challenge at the moment as well. If you didn't count your own restaurants in Scotland, um, where would be your favourite places to eat? Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, in Scotland, that, that's that's not an easy one, but um, uh, I, I would have to say Andrew Fairley's place is still up there with um, one of my favourite dining experiences ever. Um, and of course, Andrew Fairley was uh, our very, very first Rue Scholar uh, 35 years ago and sadly is no longer with us, but um, he will never be forgotten. Uh, which leads me on to uh, Jonathan Ferguson just won the Rue Scholarship. So what advice would you give him, given the fact that this is you know, his kind of moment? Yeah, isn't it fantastic that uh, we've got another young Scottish chef uh, as a Rue Scholar? I think it's amazing. And, and what a what a great chef he is i mean truly talented uh, and and a great guy to boot so um, yeah i've got i've got very very high hopes for for johnny i think he's uh, he's one for the future so so keep an eye out on him definitely um he yeah i mean 
he's going to have um, a fantastic experience. Uh, we're going to, you know, find somewhere for him to do his work experience in a three Michelin star restaurant anywhere in the world. So that will enrich, you know, enrich him and enrich his his uh, culinary skills for sure. I can't really say how I, I think Johnny could improve himself. I mean, he's proved today that he is a very, very talented young chef. So, uh, as I said, if uh, he, he knows where he's going and with the help that we're going to give him through the Rue Scholarship, uh, yeah, he's destined for stardom. This is very specific, so if you don't have any answers, it's fine. Is there anywhere that you like to dine in Glasgow or any specific Glasgow chefs that you... Mm. Well, I, I always go and see my, my dear friend and ex-head chef, Brian Moore. He worked for me as head chef uh, many years ago and opened up his restaurant in, in Glasgow. And, uh, yeah, it, it's always great to catch up with him. And uh, he, he's, he caught COVID at the beginning of the, uh, uh, the pandemic and is uh, still suffering from long COVID. So it's, it's not easy. Uh, you know, very, very difficult. But, uh, but no, he's, he's one of the good guys. And it's interesting because the city now has two, much, uh, two Michelin star restaurants, mm. which for years there was none. So it seems to be kind of moving into sort of finer dining. I mean, there's, yeah. there's always been that, but I feel like... I, I've always wondered why Glasgow didn't have uh, Michelin star restaurants. And um, you know, people always say, oh, well, it's a different crowd to Edinburgh and, and such like. But there's no reason why they... they they shouldn't. I mean, I think there's enough uh, enough people in Glasgow that want to eat out and experience some, some Michelin star food. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to see. Glasgow is such a fun place. Part of the podcast is Desert Island Jinks, which I think I might have done with you before, but we'll do it again anyway because it's a different day and a mm. different time of year. But um, if you could only take three drinks to Desert Island, what would they be and why? Three drinks? This is the morning as well, I should say. Okay, well, water... <laughs> Obviously, for sustained you know life, um, vintage champagne because yeah, life's too short to drink cheap and horrible champagne. So vintage champagne, um, and then we're in Scotland. A nice bottle of whiskey. Any specific one? Yes, uh, the Balvenie uh, Caribbean cask. Nice. I like. I I just like the Caribbean cask. I find it smooth. I find that it's got a little vanilla notes um, and because it's been uh, matured in uh, rum casks old rum casks and I love rum too it's just a, a yeah delicious lovely drink good for desert island yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add at all it's really exciting and, it, and it's lovely to to be up here as usual and um, it, it's just given I think this change of concept and menu has given the whole team, front of house and back of house, you know, just a, a real lift. And uh, they're, they're so, you know, so much looking forward to um, getting involved with this and, and getting the feedback from all the guests. Yeah. And it will be very interactive. So you're going to get that straight away. So people will be kind of chatting to each other. And Absolutely. And, and it's not just the, uh, the, the dining experience that we're, we're changing. We're tweaking the afternoon tea. We're tweaking the lounge menu uh, and the breakfast menu as well. I mean, I, I had this morning the eggs benedict with the um, smoked haddock and uh, seaweed. And uh, it was absolutely dynamite. I feel invigorated and I feel as if I can go for a long hike now. I was going to say you're going to climb up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much. Pleasure. Mm, 
I'm now joined by Kellen, who is the head chef here at Inverlochy Castle. Hi there, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. We've spoken to Michelle Rue Jr. a little bit. Could you tell us your story in terms of the new dining concept? So, like, how you approach the menu and what people can expect? Well, firstly, I'd like to say that, you know, everything what we're going to be doing is going to be unforgettable for, for the guests. It's going to be very unique. Um, why will it be unique? It's, well, first of all, the setting that we're in, in this castle. You know, it's, it's a magnificent kind of regal setting and I think it's only fit that the food that we will uh, provide and cater for our guests is only of the best and highest standard. That means for us is working with local producers, even on our own estate, you know, we've got a garden, so we'll be growing things and producing there which will feature on our menus. Um, we'll be growing our own herbs, things like that, they'll all feature, so that's hyper-local. Then, you know, we've got all our meats and our fish, which come from, from Fort William, and it's around. So we're trying to really work on working with smaller producers and have a, a, a relationship with them. So we'll, you know, communicate every day. The menu will be evolving all the time, so the menu kind of template will be set in a way. But the flexibility is going to be there. So, you know, if the fishman phones me up and he tells me, you know, the lobsters aren't great today, but I've got amazing langoustines from Loch Linney, they're XXL, can you use them? Definitely. This is, this is going to be what sets us apart. We're going to evolve and not be stuck into a, a menu rotation and tying that in with, you know, we've got a world-class familiar that's going to be matching up uh, all, all the courses with uh, with the wines and, and you know, even his uh, mocktails are really, really special. They're really, really good. So it's just a, it's a collaborative effort to, to really forefront our locality first and uh, and show the creativity and, and the expertise of, of the people that we that we are surrounded by and hopefully that will be you know received by the guests and it's interactive we have chefs out there canopy reception it's an event a celebration of of what we have and and and, and want to provide and it's it's it is a celebration and it is interactive and it's like an experience and do you think that's kind of what people are looking for now especially after covid 100% I think you know COVID I think we're all in the same boat we may have become a bit reclusive uh, a bit you know tentative to, to to go out you know myself I can tell you in the COVID I didn't really want to go anywhere I was more than happy sitting at home and then you kind of forget and when I went back to work after you know when I was working in, in London and the lockdowns happened and there were hard lockdowns and we couldn't work even do takeaways and things like that and then you go back to work and you kind of you feel yourself, you've lost some of your personal skills, communicating with people and you seem a bit strange. And I think the same can be said about dining. So people have become a bit reluctant and, and things like that. And as the restrictions ease for us here in Scotland, leading into the summer, um, I think it's going to really em emphasise that what people have been missing, you know, that human contact, that interaction, uh, getting out, seeing things, exploring things and, and you know, with this new concept, like I said, it's, it's going to be very involved and, but not overbearing. So you still come in for your dinner and want to speak to your partner or the party that you're with or, or whoever and not be bothered every, every five minutes. You know, this is not what we want to do. It still needs to be natural, but it's just having that interaction between the chefs, the guests um, and being to explain 
from and how we've got to what you're eating and what's in front of you. You know, I think it's really important to emphasise what we have. And uh, you've not long joined the team. So where did you come from and how did you get to this point? Uh, <laughs> do you ask yourself that? <laughs> it depends how much time you have on your podcast. We could probably talk about it for ages, but a brief synopsis. Um, so I'm actually a trained pastry chef. I went to pastry school. Uh, I didn't go to culinary school. So I started my career in pastry. Uh, I was lucky enough to start in Dubai. Um, I worked in Dubai for about three years in, in big five-star hotels over there. Met my wife working in a hotel over there. We moved to, to the UK back together in, in London and started working there. I was in the Gordon Ramsay group for a good two and a half years and, and moved between a few properties, Savoy Grill, a bit more brasserie, high fine dining brasserie, then into his Michelin star restaurants. That's where I kind of got a, got a, a bite for the luxury high end um, food. And most recently I was working at Claridge's at Davies and Brook, sadly, very sadly closed on the 31st of December was the last service. I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with the, the story behind the, the closure. No, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so the, the restaurant was operated by Daniel Hum, who's a big chef. He's Swiss and he's got a three Michelin star restaurant in, in New York. And basically during the lockdown, he changed his whole ethos on food and went fully vegan. So at the moment, it's the, the only fully vegan restaurant with three Michelin stars in the world. Right. It's, it's kind of special, you know, and he wanted to kind of bring that to London. And unfortunately, they just couldn't come to terms with the, the management of the hotel. They wanted the restaurant to stay as a, you know, a, a restaurant for all, not just for vegans. So they, you know, unfortunately, we had to shut it down. Um, most, I guess, defining moment of my career was working there. You know, we, we had one Michelin star. We were pushing for two. I'm pretty sure we would have got it. We closed like a month before the guide came out, which was really kind of bittersweet, you know, because everyone that was there worked really, really hard. Some, most of the team were there from the day it opened, you know, and uh, were there for that one reason. So that was a really, really defining moment for my career and changed my view and outlook on not only food, management, things like that. You know, Chef uh, Dimitri Maggie, who came over from New York to London with his family just to open up that restaurant, the most amazing human being, first of all, you know, and, and that's what he told me. He said, you know, I don't care how good you are as a chef or what your skills are, but if your attitude isn't there and you're not, you have to be a good person, you know. Mm. If you're a good person, we can work from there, you know, and, and that's really important and that's what I'm trying to bring into my team is none of this animosity and, you know, the kind of bad rap that the industry often often gets, you know, and that's up to us as the, as the new head chefs and, and people in this industry to change that, to make it a more attractive industry for, for younger people looking to find out what they want to do in their careers. It's only us that can really solve or resolve that stigma. Yeah, because it's been in the news quite a bit recently in terms of like, you know, bad, yeah. bad attitudes, bad behaviour, and I think a lot of people just expect that from head chefs. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a current thing and, and it's getting the attention that it truly deserves of late uh, and it's good you know it's obviously bad for the individuals that are being called out for these sort of things mm. but it can only lead to good things you know and uh, this is something that we really have to change because you know the, the industry has always had a staff in crisis shall we say but it's just been highlighted now and if we don't do anything about it you know in 20, 30 years time, 
the next head chefs, who are they going to be? Is mm. it going to be a continuation of past, uh, you know, mishaps and errors, mm. or are we going to try and change the culture a bit? It's about making a culture. It's uh, you know, everything's solved and resolved with communication. There's no need to shout. There's no need to to go ballistic. You know, that that doesn't solve things. It just makes people more on edge makes them more reluctant and, and, and intimidated, you know. People should not feel intimidated. I don't want people in my kitchen to be intimidated. We work long, we work hard, and if you're here for XYZ amount of hours, you want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And happiness is key. Happy food, happy guests, you know, happy chefs. And, and that's amongst everyone in the team, you know. And did you always want to work with food if you come from like a foodie family or background? Yeah, I have actually, it's, um, you know, it's really funny because I was always big into sport. I played rugby as a, as a as a young a young man, so I've always been a very sportive person. Athletics, things like that, really interested me, and I always thought I would have gotten into the sport world somehow. Really wanted to be a physiotherapist, a sports physio. Actually, I really enjoyed how the body works and and, and the muscular sort of system and things like that. Really intrigues me. Still does to this day. I'm very interested in it. But my family have always been self-employed in, in food and retail. Um, so it's something that kind of, I was brought around, like my grandparents owned a bakery. And in the area where it was, uh, it was the first like automated production scale bakery. So I was always surrounded by dough and things like that. And uh, you know, my mom, family time was a big thing for us. Every night we ate at the table together and it didn't matter if it was, you know, simple macaroni and cheese or I don't know, chicken nuggets or whatever you know but we made a point of sitting at the table and sharing that moment together to talk about the day what's happened how was school you know I think it's really really important to have that 20-30 minutes in in your day just to you know almost it's almost like a therapy session if you think about it just not so serious you know in, in the comfortable surrounds so I've always been surrounded by food and I said you know what I didn't really do so well at school in my last years, you know. Um, my parents went through a bit of a rough patch and got divorced, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I kind of, you know, got unhinged a bit in, in my academic uh, thing. And I said, well, you know, my other option is food. I've always enjoyed it, and um, I wanted to really pursue it. So I've taken that energy that I, and passion I had for sport and still have, and I've kind of transferred that into my profession, what it is now. And you know you can you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to put in the work, and the, the the time, and you know the diligence. You you can get there, and and that's what it's about. You what you get out is what you put in, and more. So that's kind of my uh, philosophy, anyways, in terms of career selection. <laughs> and is what's your earliest food memory? Is it is it your grandparents having this bakery? My earliest food memory, funny enough, is uh, so I had a kind of a strange palate as a child anyways. I always liked strange things, you know. Um, for example, when I was four, it's a story my mom tells like every time she comes around. And uh, she says, you know, Kellen, you'd always ask me, um, can I have some grapes? So she said, I knew he didn't want grapes because he didn't like grapes as a child, but he thought the tin of black olives in, in, in the fridge were grapes. So I used to give him a big bowl of olives and he just used to sit there and eat them as, as if they were grapes. So that's, you know, probably my earliest food memory is that. And I remember like going out for, you know, when I had my uh, 
first Holy Communion and stuff at uh, school. And uh, it's a big celebration in Ireland, you know, you, everyone goes out, big family thing, got lots of pocket money and stuff from your aunts and uncles and, and friends alike. And all my friends went to like uh, Carberry, you know, traditional Sunday roast sort of a place. And I was like, let's go to the Thai restaurant. I want the Thai food, you know, give me a, something spicy, something exotic, you know. And I was lucky enough to travel a lot as a, as a, as a child with my parents. We always had good summer holidays. You know, we went to a lot of kind of nice destinations. And it, I think being exposed to things like that at a young age kind of opens up your horizons and, and resonates and keeps something in your, in your mind that maybe comes back in the future, you know. So you always have little memories about certain tastes or flavors that come through and you're like, wow, that reminds me of when I was in Greece or Turkey or wherever, you know. So I think it's really important because food is travel and travel is food, if you know what I mean. They all coincide. Yeah, it's good, you know, triggers memories, as you say. Like, yeah, and exactly, and that's what we're going back to here is what we want to do. So when people come to the Highlands, that we are what they think of when they eat, you know, it's wow. Inverlochy Castle, you know, the food there was amazing, locality, all of that, highlight, you know, highlight what we have here and, and, and put it on the map because some of the things we have here are hands down the best in the world, you know. And why has it been coming from, so you were in London, yeah. that happened with the restaurant shutting down and now you're here and it's quite different, so <laughs> how are you finding it? You know, it's, it's really funny and sometimes my wife and I, we talk about it, it's like, this came up, this job offer, you know, and obviously when we heard the restaurant was closing in London, we always kind of had an inkling we would move to Scotland one day. My sister lives in Gullen and she, she got married, August just gone. And we stayed in the Grey Walls Hotel, which is part of the ICMI group. And I said, oh, this is really nice, you know, small, intimate, very, very nice. And I said, well, seeing as the restaurant's closing, maybe I can apply for a job in the group, send an email off and, and let's see what happens, you know. And lo and behold, they got back to me. This was proposed. And I said, well, here's our in, you know, this is how we can move to Scotland because I would have never taken the risk in current times with COVID and things to just move. So we had a few meetings with Chef Michelle in London at the Gavroche and, uh, you know, things were progressing really well. And we said, well, okay, let's, you know, let's commit to it. So I never even honestly heard of Fort William <laughs> before. I don't know if some people are going to hate me for that, but it's a hidden gem, you know, if, if you ask me. So we, we, you know, we Googled the area. We, we didn't even come up. Huh? I hadn't even seen it physically. We just looked at images, Google Maps, all of that. I remember I had to get a car before we moved up here because in London I didn't have a car and we were in the car dealership looking at a car. And... Uh, the guy said, oh, where are you moving to? He said, oh, we're going to Fort William. He said, oh, Fort William's amazing. You know, he comes up for the, I think is it the North Coast 500 or whatever it is. Um, and he said, it's great. You're going to love it. It's super quiet, but he said, it's beautiful. And he was sat there on Google Maps saying, where are you going to live? And we said, oh, we think it's going to be there. So we found this house online, didn't view it, just saw the pictures and everything and just went on, a, on an inkling, you know, and he said, right, let's commit to it. We put down an offer. We're first-time buyers as well, and so it could have gone anyway, you know, and everything got accepted, and we bought a house off the internet not knowing what we were getting, <laughs> and we didn't even see it. So we finished up in London, we moved here straight away. Luckily, the house was great. Our neighbours are great. You know, the people that have welcomed us into the community, 
that's been really really great and made the transition so so easy because it, it's really felt like home from almost day one um and obviously we're really busy now like sorting out the house and doing refurbishments and things like that but the it's been a been an experience but a very very welcome one it's been amazing you know everyone here at the hotel the first night we arrived um Kerry who's the operations manager she lives just across the street from me and she actually grew up in the house that we bought I only found this out afterwards which is really crazy and she brought us over like a big hamper of things from like the hotel to say welcome and all the essentials you need on that first night in your new home like it was great it was really great so we're super happy and have really settled very well that's good because yeah it's quite different but yeah if you if you feel ready for that then for us for me the outdoors is something that i'm really passionate and enjoy you know and we've got a dog and we go for long walks everywhere and it's just there's so much to see and to do in 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 fort william and lock harbour it's uh, it's never ending, so it's, it's just great even when you have your time off to just, you know, zen and revitalise and just get back to, you know, full uh, strength for, for the next week. It's it's just, there's no better place for it. We talked a bit about your career and asked Michelle this as well. Jonathan Ferguson just won the Rue Scholarship. What advice would you give to anyone sort of coming into the industry or like thinking of becoming a chef just now, given everything that's happened? I mean, for me... The advice that I would give is probably the advice that was given to me, you know. I think maybe it's going to sound slightly harsh, but it is the reality. Is you know, sometimes you have a lot of people that go to fancy culinary schools and, and things like that, and then they come into their first job expecting to be starting in a, in a medium, you know, position or a higher position. But everyone starts in the same place, whether you've gone to the to the best culinary school in the world or you haven't gone to culinary school. That's entirely up to you. Obviously, it's more advantageous to you to have a bit of a base understanding and knowledge of, of uh, cooking. But equally, if you've got no experience, haven't been to college, haven't gone to catering school, you can still come into a kitchen and you'll start in the same place. But what it boils down to is your attitude and your willingness to learn, you know. It's um, the tools will always be provided for you, and it doesn't matter if it's in a high-end place, in a pub, and I think the same principle applies. It's all about your attitude, and if you come in with an open, open mind and a, like a blank template, you'll just absorb things like a sponge, and you know that that's really important. But when you come in with preconceived ideas of what you think it's going to be it's not like what it is on tv you know um it's it's completely different that's the that's the end result of a long hard illustrious career that's when you get to that stage but how many chefs are there in the world and how many of them actually end up doing that not many you know and so it's a it's an honest job it's a it's a tough job at times but it's the most rewarding industry in the world for me when, when you look back and you see what you've done, what you've accomplished, the people you work with, it's great. It's, it's so colourful. <laughs> it's finally, the last part of the podcast is called My Life in Food and it's five quick-fire questions if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head. Okay. okay? Uh, whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Chocolate. Comfort food for me is... <laughs> <laughs> comfort food for me? Oh, my God. Uh, iron brew, to be honest. Oh. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's not food, it's a drink, but... Same thing, still got calories. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite childhood dessert is? Creme brulee. 
My food heaven is... Foie gras. And my food hell is... Raw tomatoes. Oh, really? <laughs> Raw tomatoes. It's Ever since I've been a child, it's just... I love tomato, the taste of tomato, everything, but a raw tomato, the texture, just something doesn't sit right with me. It's something that I'm really working on, you know. It's, uh, I'm trying to, there's very little things that I don't eat and it's probably tomatoes is the only one, but I'm trying to get to a stage where, you know, as a, as a chef, it's all about training your palate and being able to be adaptable. And I'm almost at a stage where I'm thinking of stopping to eat things that I like and start eating more things that I'm not really a big fan of just so I can get, you know, your palate is your flavor library and that's what you use in the kitchen. Mm. And if you can broaden your flavor library, you can broaden your, your horizons and what you can do. So it's something that I'm really considering is trying to eat more things that I'm not a big fan of just to get more of a, you know, familiarity with those tastes and see what we can do with it. So it's uh, something that I'm working on. But yeah, raw tomatoes right now, we've still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add at all? Just personally, I mean, I guess one small thing is I'd like to, if uh, any of my team end up listening to this, I'd like to say thank you to them because without all, all of their work and dedication, it, none of what we do is possible. Um, obviously to the management of the hotel, the, the work that they've done leading us into this new concept has been phenomenal. Um, a great support network. And just to any of our future diners, we look forward to seeing you here and uh, hopefully providing with an unforgettable experience that uh, hopefully you won't get anywhere else except here. And I can confirm it is excellent. So yeah, <laughs> go the future diners. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Thanks to my guests on this episode and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosan Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. <laughs>